Welcome to the 344th episode of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we'll be talking about it. Today, we are recording on July 9th, 2023. My name is Brad Galloway. I'm the editor of GameCritics.com, and I'm also 100% of this year's show. With me is nobody. Yes, folks, that's right. Uh, usual co-host Carlos Rodella is not here today. Um, he's taking a break from the show. Nothing. He's not sick. There's no problem. We didn't have a fight. There's nothing going on. He just needed to uh, take a break for personal reasons. And so he's going to be taking a brief leave of absence. Um, so in the meantime, you can look forward to, uh, I guess, is it 100% more me or is it 50% more me? Whichever Math is not my strong suit, folks. But regardless, it's going to be me doing a couple of solo shows for the time being. Um, and then we'll see how it goes. I'm not sure when or if Carlos is coming back. It's totally up to him. Uh, he needs to, you know, step away for a bit, which is totally fine. We all need to do that sometimes. We all need to take a break. We all need to just catch our breath. And, you know, doing a podcast like this is a lot of work. Um, I know that sometimes people think, well, I'm just going to start a podcast. I'm going to do some stuff. It's going to be cool and fun. And it is cool and fun, but it's also like a lot of work, especially if you are on the kind of schedule that we're on here at the show. Um, when I created So Video Games uh, several years ago, it was because uh, being the editor of Game Critics, I wanted to cover more games more quickly. And sometimes there just wasn't enough time to, you know, play something all the way through for a full review. And then on top of that, to do all the writing and then the editing and then the formatting for the website. And in addition to that, not only for my reviews, but I was doing uh, content for everybody else at the site at that. I mean, we usually have, I mean, anywhere between 15 and 20 people on the roster at any given time. Not everybody is as active as everyone else, but between doing all of those edits and and rewrites and the PR stuff for the site, and then on top of that, my own reviews, I just felt like we weren't really covering as much as I wanted to, and I wanted a faster way to do that. So I came up with So Video Games uh, as kind of a follow-up to the Game Critics podcast. I don't know if anybody remembers that from back in the day. Great show, great guys. Um, it was just tough because when we did the original podcast, four or five people coordinating schedules is really tough and you know you add some kids in the mix a job spouses or partners or whatever and it's just really tough to get that many people in the room and so we were having trouble recording and when people did get there they were busy or they had something else going on and so again I was like okay this isn't quite working the way I envisioned as editor of the site and I want to do something different so that's how so video games got born and um, you know, I'm a doer, like I like to do things I like to keep busy. And so I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do a weekly podcast, uh, because I see how many games are coming out. And I want to cover at least a couple games per person per show, because I really want to like, just get the word out on games that we like and uh, warn people away from games that we didn't like. And just generally just get in there and just cover more. That's really what I wanted to do. And I feel like this podcast has been really effective at that. Um, you know, we cover generally, when we're fully staffed, whether it was me and Corey Motley back in the day, or me and Carlos uh, after that. I mean, we were always covering at least like, I want to say at least like six or eight games per show. Sometimes more if you count all the different tangents that we went on and all of the different things that just popped into our heads as we were talking. So I really like having a high impact show and I love doing it weekly. I think that being regular is the most important thing because, you know, as someone who used to listen to podcasts myself, I, I hated it when someone skipped a week. 
not and I hate hates a strong word, but you know, I was disappointed as a fan. I would look forward to my favorite shows, uh, whether that being like you know the Josh and Jay show back then, or the Game Bar show, or any of those shows uh, that I used to listen to. And I was always like, I wanted more, I wanted more, I wanted to hear them weekly. And so now that I'm doing a show, I want to do that same thing for people who listen to our show. I know that a lot of you listen weekly, and I'm really grateful for that. And uh, I don't want to skip. So long story short, and it's already too long of a story, so I apologize for that. Um, not, not a short story at all. It's a long story. But doing a weekly show, uh, covering that many games every week is a real, uh, it, it's a real significant commitment, right? Um, it's busy. You've got to always be thinking about the next thing. You're like a shark in the gaming world, just always swimming forward. So it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of dedication. It's a lot of time. Um, and I say this because, uh, you know, that dedication is still going to happen. I'm still going to do the show. It's still going to happen weekly. Uh, but Carlos is going to step away for a bit. Maybe he'll be back. I hope he is because I love Carlos. He's a great guy. I think uh, he brings a great energy to the show. And he is already dearly missed, even though I'm only a couple minutes into the opening segment here. But regardless, uh, my commitment to you, the listener, is still there. We will be doing uh, the weekly show solo at first and then we'll see what happens carlos comes back or maybe i'll line up some guests maybe i mean that's always kind of tricky because again people schedules and whatnot so forth and so on but we'll see how it goes we'll see how it goes we'll just play it by ear but you can count on me for weekly shows for the time being and then we'll just see where it goes from there okay so that is enough of the opening segment i think that's already too much uh at this point we usually do housekeeping uh, but to be perfectly honest, it's been a pretty crazy week for me. I had a lot of stuff going on uh, personally, like with work. Uh, my wife is real busy, and I help my wife with her gig sometimes too. So that was eating up a lot of my time. As many of you know, I'm a homeschool dad as well. So that took up some time. So no housekeeping this week. I think we're going to just skip it, and I think we're going to just dive right into the main portion of the show. Let me check my notes real quick. Notes are there. Okay, I say let's do it. All right, so let's take a look at what's first up on the agenda here. Okay, uh, I'll be covering, I want to say it was four games. Yes, it is four games. First, we're going to talk about Punch a Bunch. Uh, this is on the Switch, uh, and I believe all the games I'll be covering today I was sent a code for, so just full disclosure on that. Punch a Bunch is a really interesting game that kind of caught my eye. I haven't played a good boxing game in a while. Um, you know, I think a lot of us older generation people probably remember uh, Punch-Out or Mike Tyson's Punch-Out as it was originally called before stuff went down with Mr. Tyson. But uh, that was kind of the boxing that I'm up for. I, I don't really go in for like some of those more realistic sims. And Punch-A-Bunch came into my inbox and it looked like one of those kind of semi-goofy but also did require some skill kind of titles. And I was kind of interested. Um, it is played from a kind of behind the back sort of isometric viewpoint uh, where you play a big pile of yellow balls that kind of looks like dough or clay or something. This is not realistic. Like it's very abstract, which is fine. I think that's totally fine. I think it looks kind of cute. So you play this big ball of dough and then uh, from the trailer, all of your opponents have like a theme, which is again kind of circling back to the original punch out. Uh, where there was like, I believe, an astronaut kind of guy that you fight. There's like a like a biker roughneck kind of guy. There's a, a monk. There's, you know, all sorts of like themed opponents, which to me was like, okay, that seems really fun and cool. Um, 
I, I like that vibe. I like the silliness. Uh, and let's check it out. So the game begins. Um, I got to say, it kind of gets off on the wrong foot and it doesn't really recover for me, at least. Um, as you get into the tutorial, I was immediately struck by a control scheme that seemed really unintuitive and strange to me. Uh, so this game says a lot that it's like a 100% skill-based game, even though it kind of looks goofy from appearances. And I think that's largely true, although I think that perhaps in this particular case, skill might mean acclimating yourself to a very non-standard control scheme, which, I mean, that's true for anything. Any game can be skill-based when you practice enough at it, right? Um, but so what do I mean? When you look at a boxing game like this, I mean, maybe it's just me. But right off the bat, I'm thinking left buttons or left bumper, left shoulder are going to be the left arm. Right buttons, right bumper, right shoulder are going to be the right arm. That's, I mean, that's gut check. That's what I was thinking we were, I was going to get myself into. That's not what it is. And I was really thrown for a loop. Um, when you start off with the default settings, and I was playing this on a pro controller in docked mode on the Switch is where I was playing this. Uh, the right buttons, right shoulder, right bumper, I believe, are all your punches. And that kind of wigged me out because what they do is they put a lot of emphasis on the stick uh, to lean forward, lean back. Uh, it, I, I believe you've got a full like 360 degrees of rotation on the stick, uh, lean left and lean right. And also to like wind, like lean back and then push forward on the stick and hit the button at the same time for like a stronger power punch, right? So they, they put the block on the left buttons and the the dash, like a dash in, dash back on the left uh, left bumper, left trigger, something like that. Um, and that's how you play the game. And I just, I had a really hard time wrapping my brain around that. And I think part of it was because I was expecting the traditional left button, right button. But also, I don't think the stick thing really works that well. Uh, I think to begin with, it's hard to read a little bit because your guy is big and doughy. And everybody else is big and doughy, whether they're in a getup or not, whether you're fighting like the regular Joe Boxer in the training rounds or whether you're fighting one of the, the themed opponents. Um, but they're like, you know, oh, lean this way to block low and lean this other way to block high. And then, you know, whichever way you lean is the punch you're going to throw. And it just it just didn't make sense in my head. Um, I, and also, I didn't notice that it was very consistent either, because sometimes I would want to throw, let's say, for example, I want to throw a left, and I lean left, but then my guy still throws a right, and I don't know if it's because, am I supposed to lean first, then punch, or punch, and then lean, or like, what is exactly the timing, and I think I did it right, I even went back and did the tutorials a couple more times, because I was like, I am just not getting this, I, this is not clicking for me, um, and so I did the tutorials a few more times, and I just, I really struggled with it, I just, it didn't feel intuitive or... Um, sensible to my hands, and I, I, I had a tough time. Now, I feel pretty confident in saying that the developers knew this was going to be a problem because they did implement an, a quote-unquote assist mode, uh, which is where they map buttons to the actual face buttons. So you have a, um, a high left, low left, high right, low right, uh, and those are mapped to the face buttons on the Switch. Now, that actually worked a lot better because then it was predictable, right? I could always throw a high, I could throw a low, I could throw a left, I could throw a right, whatever I wanted, but it was not including the stick motions, which, I mean, to be honest, I, I was kind of okay with that. If I could just be like the, the you know, backseat developer for a second, I get what they were going for, but I just don't think it works that well. I just don't think that managing the sticks in that way in conjunction with 
the buttons came out the way that they thought it was going to come out. And maybe they could practice it for like a month and get really, really good at it. And once you really know it, but like, this is kind of like a lighter fare, kind of a goofy, like, I don't want to spend six months training in this game. And I just want to jump in and have some fun. And I found fun with the regular button array. But then again, I was throwing weaker punches because I wasn't using the, the stick to like bob and weave and put my weight into the punches the way that the tutorial told me to. So I felt like I wasn't getting the full experience there. But I got to be honest, I just didn't think that the main setup of the game really worked that well. Um, beyond that, it's just interesting that uh, I, I, the whole thing feels so inconsistent to me. Like, again, not throwing the right punches that I wanted to throw. And sometimes they'd be heavier punches and sometimes not. And sometimes I'd be stunned or sometimes they'd be stunned. And it just it just didn't feel like predictable enough to me. And I don't think that every boxing game needs to be Mike Tyson's punch out where it's very strict dichotomy, black and white, A and B. And you know what happens when you punch this guy three times and he gets stunned. I mean, it can be more freeform and flowing than that. But also, I feel like the way that it feels right now is a little bit too loosey-goosey. It just feels a little bit too random a little bit too unpredictable and I just I struggled with it um I didn't get very far and I just after a while I got kind of just frustrated where it seems to straddle this strange line between being fun casual and also kind of a little realistic and you take a lot of damage and you can get knocked out pretty easily uh and neither one of those was really working for me and where it landed in the middle wasn't working for me either so I bailed on it pretty quick um I just, I just feel like, for me anyway, and maybe other people disagree, but for me, I feel like incorporating the stick and that premise didn't quite work, but I think the rest of it could work. Stabilize the control system, make it a little bit more predictable, um, you know, just kind of just give me something to work on that wasn't just about fiddling with the sticks and hoping I nailed it right. Um, you know, and, and to be fair, the sticks on the Pro Controller are not great. They're not great on the Switch either. So they were kind of um, a problem from the get-go. But in any event, Punch-A-Bunch, I think it's it's kind of fun. It, it looks fun. It looks more fun than it actually was for me. Uh, and I think ultimately it had some core design issues that just didn't, didn't float my boat. So, all right, that was Punch-A-Bunch. Uh, needless to say, did not finish that one. Okay, moving on here. Uh, let's see. Okay. Space Scavenger. Now this is one I'm actually very, very excited about. I saw this in the Switch store a while ago and I'm like, oh man, that looks like my jam, but I'm really cheap and I don't want to pay full price for it. So I'm going to wishlist it and I'm going to wait for it to get on sale. And it finally hit sale. I think I got it for, I don't know, two, three bucks or something, which is shitty because after playing this game i feel like i need to give these people some more money so that one's on me but you never know you never know i'm not rich i can't be dropping full price uh you know cash on games that may or not be fun i mean i you know you all feel me we're not rich so anyway space scavenger is is worthy and really fun and a good time just spoiler i loved it so here is the deal it is a top down space based roguelike where you begin the game with a little capsule. It's almost like a square, white square. And you move around with the left stick and you have full degrees of rotation on the right so you can aim, turn yourself around. And when you start off, you just have like a little electrical zapper that comes out of your, your pod, which actually does a pretty good job to be fair. I think it's, it's not a bad weapon for a default. 
But your your premise is you go to these uh, levels. It seems like maybe they're randomly generated. I'm not 100% sure, but it feels like maybe they are. And you're supposed to scan planets that are in this level while also avoiding enemies. Or sometimes you have to actually kill all the enemies. So it's pretty basic and straightforward. Uh, killing enemies is just like you think. You just shoot them, they die, etc., etc. There's a whole range of those. They are, you know, they shoot back. They Some of them have poison clouds. Some of them shoot spikes or whatever. You know, you can imagine this. Uh, how you scan a planet is equally easy. You just fly up to the planet. It's usually a big circle. That's pretty obvious. You get close enough and a little radar beam shoots out from your ship. And all you have to do is rotate your ship fully around the planet to quote unquote scan it. And then you're done. So it's pretty straightforward. It sounds pretty basic. Why am I so in love with this game? What is so fun about it? Well, I left out the most important part is that your ship is modular. And as you play this game, you are going to pick up different components that you add and tweak on your ship in real time. Uh, so, for example, you'll go into a new level, you blast some enemies with your zapper, and then you come across a rocket booster. You can pick it up, the game pauses. I mean, I think it it still plays, but it plays in like one thousandth the normal speed. I mean, it effectively basically pauses the game. I've never, I have never died while fixing my ship, and I never even got close. I mean, it really, really slows it like glacially down, so it's fine. Um, so you take that booster... And then you stick it on your ship. And because your ship is kind of a square, you can stick it anywhere. Um, there is a front to your ship, like the way that your ship wants to shoot. But you can change that. I mean, you can kind of rotate things around. You can put the booster anywhere you want. And then once that's attached, then you, you travel much faster. Uh, that's really basic. But there's also more ship pieces. So you can make your ship larger. Um, it can be two, three, four body pieces. You can have support struts that you can add on that give it more uh, life points, more stability. And of course, there's all sorts of guns and weapons. And this is really the fun thing where the guns uh, have all sorts of different properties and using them and learning them is half the fun, but also having this roguelike sense of, okay, what did I come across this level? Okay, well, I found the slingshot. Okay, slingshot is weird because it is, as you imagine, a little cup with some rubber bands and it shoots rocks it's pretty effective actually but you have to put it behind your ship it has to be in the rear pointing forward because it shoots like over your ship if you put it in front of your ship it doesn't work like it shoots backwards um, and so every weapon has its own particular orientation some weapons like to be on the right side of your ship if they're going to shoot forward some weapons like to be on the left side some of them you can stack i got some nail guns the other day the nail guns like to be on the right side of your ship but they can also be stacked multiple deep. So I got on a hot streak and I think I picked up, I think three other nail guns. And so I had this giant like nail gun attached to a nail gun, attached to a nail gun, attached to a nail gun. And they all fired at the same time. So I had this little wall of nails shooting out of me, uh, which was really super fun. And it was really cool. I like the feeling of being creative with these little pieces that you get. And I'm al always finding new bits. I do not think I've seen them all. Um, every time I play and I get a little further, I find something new and, you know, you're going to have your favorites. You're going to have some things you really like and some things you don't like so much. And you got to kind of just roll with it. And that's really what I like about roguelikes in general. I mean, people who listen to the show know I love roguelikes in, you know, overall, I am like Mr. Roguelike. And what I like about roguelikes is not necessarily the repetition, but the improvisation, the idea of this is what I have on hand. I need to make it work. What can I do to make this work? How can I implement this? What can I do with it? And you don't always get your favorite setup. I mean, there's been a few times when I'm like, okay, nail gun, great. I'm a wall of death. That's awesome. And then sometimes I'll get like 
the punching glove and a shield. And I'm like, oh, crap. Okay, this is like putting me more in a melee zone. I don't like to be in the melee so much. And I got to angle my ship a certain way so that my shield catches those hits, which makes me be way more of an active pilot than if I'm shooting nails from a distance. I mean, there's all sorts of considerations that come into it based on what your particular setup is. But on top of that, you can also just modify your ship like on the fly, wherever, you know, okay, this isn't working out. I'm going to switch this around, put this thing on the left, put this thing on the right, keep going, see how that feels. Okay, too many boosters, take that off. Uh, And just kind of just like tinker and tinker and tinker. I like to tinker. I like roguelikes. I like improvisation. I like top-down games. I like action games. This is all of those. All those boxes are being checked. And I think it's really cool and fun. I think it's just really well put together, really enjoyable. It has a very limited scope of what it's trying to achieve, but it delivers on everything that it wants to do. And to me, that's amazing. I love when developers have an idea, execute on the idea, everything about it is done well, and the whole thing just sings. It doesn't have to be like some giant, expansive, massive adventure for it to be fun. I I think you just need to do what you want to do. And this game, Space Scavenger, really does it well. I think it does it perfectly well. Um, I don't even think that I have any complaints about it. I think it's, it's all in line. The main campaign is four worlds, and I think each world is like maybe four or five little planets. So if you get on Hot Streak, you can complete the game. I haven't beaten it yet. I've gotten all the way to world four, and then I got uh, overwhelmed by some bad guys. I didn't have guns that were up to spec, so I'm going to keep trying again. But it's meant for quick replays. There's also a hard mode. There's also... I believe a daily challenge mode. I think there's also a swarm mode. So if you're concerned about running out of content, um, there is some other modes you can go through. But I think honestly, sometimes it's okay just to have a really fun short game that just does what it does and does it well. And I, I think that's exactly what this is. Having a blast with it. I'm doing two or three runs a day and I just, I'm just eating it up. I think it's just scrumptious. So Space Scavengers is great. It's on the Switch. Plays great on the Switch. Uh, although I do prefer it in dock mode just to get the bigger screen, but no problem with the handheld mode. And uh, overall, I think this is, uh, it's really great. I'm going to be really like an old guy for a second and say it's the bee's knees, man. It's pretty good stuff. So Space Scavengers, win, recommended. All right, I'm looking at the agenda and I'm just flying through this episode because I have no one here to joke with and there's no one giving me tangents. So we are going to get through this show in in record time. It's going to be a short show, as Carlos was so fond of saying. Um, The next game I'm going to be talking about is called My Lovely Wife. This is an interesting one. I had my eye on this a while ago, and I don't remember when it came out on the Switch. It was, I want to say at least a year or two ago, probably even longer than that. Um, And I I tagged it on my wish list. It was another one of those games where interesting, could be cool, might not be, I'm not sure, and I'm not going to pay full price for it because I am cheap. So I've had it on my wish list this entire time, and I kind of forgot about it. Slight tangent. I don't know if you know this or not, but on the Switch, I think you cap your wish list out. I want to say it's at, f- I want to say it's something silly like 399 games or something like that. It's you would think that it would be infinite, right? But it's not infinite, and in fact, it slows the Switch way down to have a lot of games on your wish list. Um, and so, I tagged this one a while ago, and I kind of forgot because it was pretty far down on my list, and I've had enough stuff to play that I wasn't really coming through for older things. But luckily got contacted by the PR and they're like, Hey, yo, we've got some new DLC for this game coming out. And would you like to play this? And I'm like, Oh snap. Yeah, man, this has been on my wish list forever. I am cheap. I'm now getting it for free. Plus there's DLC coming. Sign me up. Um, so that is why we are talking about this game today. So I gotta be Frank. I did not fully understand what this game was. I looked at screenshots. 
I kind of read a description, but I wasn't like really grokking what it was trying to tell me. But now that I have played it, I'm like, oh, got it. I get what it is. And I think it's actually pretty good. Um, quick tangent. Uh, people might remember that I talked a while ago about a game called Max Gentleman Sexy Business. Is that what it's called? That is what it's called. Max Gentleman Sexy Business. Yes. Max Gentleman Sexy Business, which was a PC adults adult-oriented game, although you could take the adult stuff out and just play it like a game, where you were in Victorian times and you managed uh, businesses while also getting people naked and having a lot of sex. Uh, writing was great. Graphics were great. Really funny. Great gameplay. But the gameplay was very unique. I don't know that I have ever played a game like that before. And full disclosure, I am like Mr. Console, right? I am not a PC guy. So I'm sure that maybe PC players are like, oh yeah, this is one of those. This is that kind of game. And I'm like, Okay, cool. I don't know. It's not something that you see often on consoles. But basically, in Max Gentleman's Sexy Business, you pick some partners that work with you. You assign them to different points on a map. And then when they're there, you kind of just wait for their little activity bar to fill up. And so, like, one person will earn money. One person will recruit employees. One person will, I don't know, do whatever. And you just wait for these bars to fill up. So the game is basically you take a character, put them somewhere... You watch the bars fill, and then when the bar is empty, you take them off and put them somewhere else. That sounds really boring and tedious and repetitive, but actually it's fucking fun as hell. It works amazingly. And again, plug for Max Gentleman's Sexy Business, one of my favorite uh, experiences like this. Um, and a great PC game. Probably my favorite adult game. I've played a lot of adult games for the show. Most of them we didn't talk about because they suck, but that one was great. Great blend of adult humor, adult content, but also just great gameplay and great writing. Really funny, really funny game. Anyway, why am I talking about Max Gentleman's Sexy Business? I'll tell you why, because my lovely wife is almost just like that. And since I love Max Gentleman, I actually kind of love my lovely wife as well. But it is not without a caveat, multiple caveats. So, okay, my lovely wife, the art is pretty distinctive. And at first I wasn't sure that I cared for it. But now that I am fully immersed in the title, I do think the art style is really cool. Um, it kind of grew on me over time. It seems kind of rough and sketchy in a way that I usually associate with like really low budget, cheap titles. Don't mean to insult anybody here. And I certainly don't mean to insult uh, my lovely wife or its developers or its artists. But, you know, at first impression, it looks like one of those dashed off kind of like cheapy, cheapy games that I usually don't have a good time with. But, you know, that, that was wrong. I was wrong. I fully admit that. Once I got further into it, I could appreciate the art style for what it was. Um, and I like it. I think it's actually pretty good. It, it, it took a little while, but I like it. Characters in the game, uh, the human characters sometimes don't have mouths, which is kind of weird, but I think it works. And the sketchy lines and the colors and stuff really kind of came together. So I, I ended up really liking the art, even though I didn't initially. Um, the premise of the game is that you are a guy in this town and you're in love with your wife, your lovely wife, the titular lovely wife. And she dies. Um, she gets really sick and you can't save her and she dies. And so you, the main, the male main character, is busted up and you're just really depressed. But then what happens is you get a letter uh, from your dead wife, which I guess she wrote before she died. And she's like, hey, if I die, someone's going to come along and help you out with this. And please do what they say and cooperate with them. And maybe we can be together again. So it immediately takes like this kind of like occult weird mystic magical turn and what ends up happening is this guy shows up out of the blue randomly and he's like hey bro i know your wife died um i knew her here's this letter from her saying that i'm the guy supposed to help you and what i need you to do like like any grieving widow would do is to start 
summoning a bunch of succubi in this uh, pentagram that I'm going to draw on your floor, summon all these uh, demons, which look like lady demons, uh, send them out into the town to suck sexual energy from people in the town. And then when they're full of sexual, sexual energy, bring them back and kill them. And we're going to just collect all that juice and it's going to be fine. Your wife's going to be okay. We're going to bring her back. It's all no big deal. And it kind of blew my mind for a minute. Uh, I did not know that's what this was. I knew that the succubi were part of it, right? Like I knew it was kind of being kind of like a dating sim or maybe like a team-based RPG or story-based RPG or something. I wasn't quite sure. Um, but the mechanics are exactly like Max Gentleman where you, and I, I realize I'm glossing over this. I'll come back to it. But like you, you've summoned a team of succubi, female demons who feast on male sexual energy. You put them up in your house. Everybody gets their own room. No one has to share. No bunk beds. You send them out into the town, just like Max Gentleman, where there's map points. There's like a hotel, which is like a brothel. There's like a nightclub where you do singing and dancing. There is a etiquette classroom where you teach your girls to be more sophisticated. There is a sexual classroom where you teach them some naughty tricks. Uh, there's a few other locations, but... You take your, your succubi, you assign them to each location, and then you wait for the bars to fill up. And as the bars are filling up, you're earning gold, you're earning the sexual energy, you're increasing the skills of your succubi, whoever, if they're at one of the schools. And then the day is over, you bring them back home, and you can talk to them. You can be like, hey, you know, what's up? What's going on with you? And if they like you enough, they'll talk to you. If they don't like you, they will not talk to you. So they are demons, and they all have their, like, kind of, like, idiosyncratic personalities. Like, the first one is really, like, arrogant. There's one that just wants to fight all the time. One is like really sleepy and wants to be left alone. One is like a drunkard. And so is always looking to like get some more booze and knock stuff over. So there's, I think, 18 or 19 different succubi you can summon through a the pentagram. Like you get these components, uh, wood, animal bits, blood, metal, something, something. There's a few other components. And depending on how you mix and match them, it'll determine what kind of succubus you get. Um, so there's like all sorts of different types. Um, so at first I was like, okay, weird, cool. I like weird. I like cool. This seems really interesting. And the art kind of grew on me and I was like, okay, cool. I got some lady demons in my house and I'm going to, uh, use them to get energy. I'm going to bring my wife back. Okay, cool. I thought I had the trajectory of the game in my mind and that seemed fine. Um, but I didn't know about the killing part right away. They, they save that for a little while. And so you get to know your first demon and you're like, okay, we're buddies, we're friends, Maybe, you know, and the guy talks often about being a widower and stuff. So there wasn't like a lot of like, you know, like getting the demons to 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 be your, your girlfriends or anything. He didn't have like a harem vibe right off the bat. You know what I mean? So that's all fine. I'm like, OK, cool. I'm sending her out to school and she's getting better at doing sex and being more educated. And I feel proud of that. And she's earning me lots of money by going to the brothel. And OK, look, I realize this is all problematic. OK, I'm just you got to just go with the flow. That's what this game is. I mean, I suppose if you don't like what you're hearing, skip ahead a couple minutes and just go to the next game. But um, if you're OK with all this stuff, uh, then then just keep rolling with it. But at a certain point, you know, they reveal the part where you have to actually kill that succubus that you've been raising. And man, it oh, gave me pause. I was like, what? I thought we was going to be buddies. I thought she was like a part of my team and we were going to be like an RPG party or we were going to be, you know, like we were friends to the end and she's going to help me bring my wife back or something. Um, but no, no, you got to actually kill him. And I, I was like, okay, so wait, maybe, maybe I don't have to kill him. Maybe there's a way around this. Is there like a passive? Nope. You can't. You got to kill him. It's just part of the game. And it, it did give me pause because I felt like a real scumbag for a little while. Um, 
if Carlos was here, he'd be like, I'm out. And I'm like, yeah, you are out. I, I agree. Like, I, I can see why anybody would be out. Like, I, Carlos would not be down with this. So Carlos is not here, but in spirit, I know that he's out in this game, and that's totally fine. Um, But I'm like, ah, okay, this sucks. I don't want to kill anybody. But there literally is no way to do anything else because uh number one because when the game tutorializes they make you go through this and you can't get through the tutorial without doing it and also once you realize the other systems in the game all hinge on the sexual energy you as the character have to level up you have to increase your skills you have a a tech tree which increases the amount of money and sexual energy and a few other things like your intelligence your charm a few other stats those are only leveled up by killing a succubus and getting that energy and using it on yourself um, as the story progresses, I don't want to spoil anything, but as the story progresses, it turns out that there are other people who are interested in the sexual energy that you are generating. And so everybody shows up with like their handout of like, Hey, I'd like some of that sexual energy. And no, I'd like some of that. No, I want some of that. And so you have to kind of make some choices after a while about who you want to support, who's on your side, which way you want to go. Um, so I did feel like a huge piece of shit at first, but the game was pretty interesting otherwise. And I decided to roll with it. Um, the first kill was pretty tough. But then, you know, like they say in real life, your first kill is always tough. Then after that, you know, it's, it's much easier. Just like in real life. That's what they say. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and then you kind of just go from there. You generate more succubi. You generate some more money and energy. Uh, you kill a couple more of them. You level yourself up a little bit. And then, I, again, I'm, I'm saying, like, literally nothing about the story. The story does take some interesting turns. It does present you with some interesting dilemmas. I, I don't want to spoil anything because I think the discovery is a big part of this game. So if you are initially grossed out by the premise, um, especially the murder part, get it. Totally fair. I acknowledge that 100%. But if you can get past that, I think there is some interesting stuff going on. And I got to say, I am pretty invested in seeing which way the story goes. I got to one of the major points in the game where you have to choose A or B. And I thought about it for a minute and I chose. And now I am working my way towards that goal. I don't know if that's going to be the end of the game or is there more twists after that, but I really do want to see where this goes. Um, apart from that, mechanically, I think it works really well. Um, the tutorial could have called out a few more things, but I think it was fine to figure it out pretty easily. I'm just kind of like leveling up and building up and it's got that same really pleasant level of grinding and the numbers go up the same way that Max Gentleman did, uh, where you just feel like everything, you're getting more money, you're growing your empire, you're getting bigger, things are going up and up and up. And you've got a goal in mind. And it just, the gameplay of watching these meters fill up is just really satisfying. Something just primally satisfying about it. I just, uh, I, it wouldn't work for me in every single game, but it works in a game like this. It works in Max Gentleman. It works in My Lovely Wife. And I'm just having a pretty good time with this game once I got past the initial grossness of ritual murder and the idea of collecting sexual energy to bring back my dead wife. Uh, so yeah, it's not, it's not the easiest play. It's not the most, um, it's not the most pleasant. There's definitely some grossness to it in some aspects, but I think it's, I, th I think what I really want to be clear about is it's not gross for grossness's sake. Although I think that is a factor. I think it's going somewhere. If I didn't feel like it was going somewhere, if I felt like this is just like a weird sexual violence game or some kind of like weird, harem game where you just like throw women away or something i think i would have bailed immediately right like i don't i don't think i i'm not here for that i i respect women i love women um i don't dabble in that kind of like 
power dynamic. I don't like to see women devalued. I don't like them to see them disrespected. So I wouldn't be here if it was just using women and throwing them away. That's not something that would keep my attention. But I, I feel like there is something else going in this game. And I kind of wonder if the main character is going to be getting some comeuppance or if there's going to be kind of a twist where things, you know, obviously are not what they seem. So I am very curious to see where it goes. So I'm able to put aside the parts that I find questionable to see uh, what else is in store. Um, one other note to say is that uh, one of the big reasons the PR people came around with this code, uh, because I said it was released a couple years ago, was because they have a new DLC coming up, which was very um, surprising to me. I had no idea that that was going to happen. Uh, didn't think it. It's not usual for a game to be out this long to have DLC, but they did. Uh, and they are adding Incubi. So a succubus is a female demon feeding on male sexual energy. And Incubus is the opposite of that. It is a male demon who feeds on the sexual energy of female people. Uh, so um, to be perfectly frank, I do not know if this is an adult-only game on PC. It might be. I'm not sure. But there is nothing over, there's nothing um, explicitly sexual in this game. Uh, so you can play it. Uh, of course, they talk about themes and there's like some imagery, but there's no sex. There's no like nudie pictures. There's nothing like that going on. But they are going to be adding the Incubi soon. It's already on PC. It is not in Switch yet, but they say it's coming soon. So I was interested to see how that is going to be implemented in the game as well. Um, if that changes the dynamic, if that changes the story at all. Uh, but I appreciate that they're, they're giving more options. Um, I do not know the range of Incubi available, uh, but they're going to basically just double the cast of available characters and we'll see what happens there. So just a side note, I have not been able to play that yet on Switch, but it's coming soon. It is already on PC. And I, you know, now that I thought about it, I should have actually looked this up before the show, uh, but I am curious to see if it is, well, heck, Carlos is not here. I guess I can pause the show. I'm going to pause the show real quick. I'm going to look it up on Steam. Hold on one second. Okay, so I took that moment to go pop onto Steam and check it out, and it's not 100% clear. It looks to me like there is no explicit, like, there's no, like, adult DLC that you can get that'll, like, unlock some sex scenes or anything. It, it seems to me, and I could be wrong, but it seems like you're getting the same game regardless of whether you play it on Steam or switch which i think is fine uh but a couple tidbits i did not realize was that there are multiple endings it looks like at least 40 different endings for the game depending on which succubi or incubi that you favor there's also a couple of other main campaign endings at least two that i know of uh which probably have to do with your wife so lots of content lots of stuff i don't know that i would call it a dating simulator it doesn't feel like a dating sim to me it feels more like a character management game um, but I dig it. It's weird. It's strange. I really want to know where it's going. These systems are pretty unusual for a console player. Like I said, maybe PC players know what this genre is called. I don't know what it's called, but all I think of it is like the sexy gentleman genre. Um, but it's really cool and interesting. And if you're not put off by the content, whether it's the sexual stuff, the demon stuff or the murder stuff. And to be fair, that's a lot of stuff to be put off by. But if you're not put off by that stuff, I think it's pretty interesting. And I think it plays really well on the Switch. And I am invested. I am definitely going to see this one through for sure. Uh, okay, so that was My Lovely Wife playing on a Switch, also available on PC. All right, and the final game of the show is going to be something that we talked about earlier this year. And in fact, I mentioned it just last episode. Uh, Wo Long Fallen Empire uh, came out, I want to say, in January or February, something like that, pretty early in the year. And this was a third-person 
quasi Souls-like, although it was also more of a Sekiro-like uh, action game coming from Tecmo Koai. Uh, and honestly, it feels to me like the spiritual successor to Sekiro. Um, not exactly the same, but really similar in a lot of aspects and kind of correcting some of the uh, design issues or sticking points that occurred in Sekiro. I just, I played Sekiro, finished it recently, and I've played and finished Wolong earlier in the year. And I, those two games are like a peas and pod to me. Um, so if you like one, you probably will like the other. But Wolong, I think overall was the more polished, uh, easier towards, like more more merciful towards the player. Let me put it that way. I think Wolong is faster than Sekiro. Uh, I think that it is bigger. There's more content to it. Um, has a little more quality of life issues. But Sekiro is cool too. There's a lot of good stuff about Sekiro, even though it drove me crazy for a couple years. And if you listen to the podcast, you know my journey of revenge to finally beat the last boss of Sekiro, which I did, which was a crazy-ass battle for stage. It was way too hard and way too long. Um, but anyway, getting back to Wolong, I did really like Wolong a lot, despite the fact that it's got the worst first boss in history. Um, and now uh, the developers are filling out the battle pass. They sold a battle pass upon release, and I wasn't really clear what was going to be included in that. But this is the first chunk of content. If you bought the Battle Pass or you can just buy it separately, it is a paid DLC. It's called Wolong Battle of Zhongwan. I believe that's how you pronounce it. And I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that. I'm pretty sure it's Zhongwan. Uh, so this is, uh, for good or for ill, it is it is more uh, Wolong. Um, if you like Wolong, you're going to get more of exactly what you liked about it. If you didn't like Wolong, this is not going to change your mind. Um, essentially, if you are familiar with Wolong, or if you're not, I'll just tell you about it right now. Every chapter in Wolong was basically two or three main story missions. Then you got two or three side missions, which took the real estate of the main mission, but chopped it in half and often like reversed it or flipped it. So like, let's say, for example, in the main, uh, main campaign, Level two, you're on a battlefield and you go from the mountains to the battlefield, fight a boss, and that's level two. If you do the side mission of level two, you might start where the boss's room is and then work your way backwards. Or maybe you'll be like in another part of the level that was closed off and you'll skip the boss room altogether and you'll go to like a different leg of that um, level. Enemies remixed, uh, usually new bosses, uh, new new challenges new goals like sometimes you're rescuing somebody sometimes you're searching for an item so it takes the the map content they're not redoing the maps but they give you new ways to play and new content to go through usually get some rewards and then on top of that each each chapter in wolong usually had at least one or two uh boss battles just just boss battle where there's no level you just pop in you're in a boss room uh sometimes it was a one-on-one -on -one, sometimes it's like a two-on-one or three-on-one depending and uh so you get in each chapter, you get a couple story missions, a couple side missions, a couple boss missions, and that's what makes up a chapter. So this new Battle of Zhongwan uh, DLC is basically a new chapter. So you get all that stuff. You get, I think, two or three story missions, two or three side missions, the remix side missions, and you get, I've only seen so far two boss battles. Uh, there may be more because uh, I haven't finished the content and I haven't unlocked everything, but that's kind of the shape of things. So if you know what a chapter looks like in Wolong, it's basically another chapter. Uh, the story picks up, and to be perfectly honest with you, it is story-based DLC. Uh, but 
let's just be honest. The story in Wulong was not the greatest. I mean, it was basically we're in China, lots of people fighting. There's some demon stuff going on. And then the gameplay was just so strong. It just carried it where I think it really plays really well and fast and tight. And it's really fun. So I didn't really care about the story. And honestly, I couldn't tell you much about the story other than what I just told you. Kind of the same thing here. They say it's um, story battle, which is true. But I don't know if it's post game, like after you quote unquote beat the game. Or is it supposed to happen during the campaign? Like, I'm not really sure. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I don't think anybody's coming to Wolong for the story, honestly. You're coming because of the you know, Souls slash Sekiro-like gameplay. Uh, and you're coming for the the cool costumes and the action. So um, it delivers. It delivers. Um, the brand new content in this is a new weapon type, which is pretty exciting. Uh, it didn't click with me, unfortunately, but I think it's cool that it's there. It's a Cestus. Uh, and if you don't know what that is, it's kind of like a brass knuckle sort of a thing, like a punching glove slash brass knuckle. So it's melee, extremely close quarters, uh, very heavily combo based and they add some kind of a new combo technique to it, which honestly, I didn't really quite understand. It was like, use the Cestus, rack up a combo, but don't switch to your other weapon because you can always have two weapons equipped. Don't switch to your other weapon or else you lose your combo and then build up this combo, builds up another meter and this meter does something like, I don't know, increased damage or uh, I don't know what it was. They went, they glossed over it really quickly and I was just like, what? And by the time I got through the menu, I wasn't quite sure what was going on. Um, but I did try the Cestus and it's neat. I mean, I appreciate that there's a new weapon and it'll be extra good for people who are beginning the game because you will get this weapon type from the start if you have the main game plus the DLC. So like if you've never played Wolong before, get the whole package, the main game plus DLC, you'll get the new weapon from beginning. And if you like that weapon, you can play the entire campaign with it, which is awesome. So I like that. Cestus wasn't quite my speed though. I'm more of like a spear guy. I have one sword that's really good. So I like I like what I got and I've already beat the game. So I'm not really looking to change up my technique right now, but I appreciate that it's new. They also give you a couple new sets of armor, which were pretty nice looking, although I already had shit that was like top class and I wasn't going to switch just because it looks better. Although you can alter the appearance of your items. I think similar to what Diablo does, Diablo 4 does. A couple of the games where you can have the stats of one item, but the appearance of another item. So I think that's fine. Although I like the way my armor looks now. I mean, I'm, you know, I've, I spent a lot of time in this game. I spent like 50 hours in this game. I have my character tricked out just the way I wanted her. She looks like the way I wanted. She's got the weapons I wanted. She's got the skills I wanted. So I'm not like really looking to change it up. But these are just more options for people if you want to change it up or if you are going through the game for the first time. So that's appreciated as well. There's also another new system. Again, they kind of like introduced this new thing. And after spending 50 hours, I wasn't quite sure what to do with this new system. It's like a magic scroll system. And to be perfectly honest, I wasn't sure what it did. And I tried to look it up and I couldn't find the info in the menu. And I'm like, you know what? I don't care. I already know how to play this game with this main character that I've had for 50 hours. I'm going to put five more hours into it. And then I'm going to be, I want to be good. I'm not looking to like totally relearn the game systems, but there is a new magic scroll system. There is a new, oh gosh, it's called like the resistance system or something where you can basically handicap yourself to get better rewards. Uh, so there's definitely some tweaking going on here and it'll be really great to have all those options from the start. Um, I think for me, at this point in my Wolong career, all I want is a couple more bosses, a couple more levels, and I'm good because I've pretty much locked myself into how I play this game. But it'll be a richer package for those who are just getting into it. Um, 
But yeah, basically, third person, Soulsborne, Sekiro-like, great action. This is more content. Again, if you haven't gotten on board with Wolong yet because you didn't like it, this is not going to change your mind. Or if you've been waiting for a time to jump in, this is probably a good time. I think there's probably a couple more DLCs coming. But, I mean, this is a fine time to jump in as well. Campaign is pretty lengthy. You get some extra weapons, the new stuff in the DLC, more missions. Um, so, it's great. It's not a shocker. It's not a surprise. It's not an upset. There's nothing wrong with it. It's it's just, it is, and I don't mean this to sound insulting. I really don't. It is it is more woe long. If you like that, here's more of it. I did like it. I wanted more of it. I got it. I'm fine. But, you know, don't come to it looking for story revelations or a brand new way to look at the game or, you know, it doesn't really do anything differently that you haven't already seen. So uh, if you have had enough or you didn't like it in the first place, not going to change your mind. But overall, for me, this does exactly what it's supposed to do. And I dig it. All right. Uh, let's check the agenda. Let's see where we're at here. Yep, that is going to do it. Uh, we got through this, or I guess I got through this show in record time. Shortest show ever, possibly. Um, before we go, this is usually the part where I talk about non-game stuff. Do I have anything? Yeah, sure. Um, I should have talked about this earlier in the show, but I want to give a shout out to John over at Gaming in the Wild. I love his show. We talk about it all the time. Uh, he recently did an episode on Gerda, A Flame in Winter. Uh, we covered this game on the show a while ago. We also covered the DLC, a story-based DLC. Uh, Gerda is a game about a half-Danish, half-German woman living in a village that is being occupied by the Nazis in World War II. Uh, so feel-good game of the summer. Light content. Very easy breezy. Nope, nope. Actually, it's very heavy. It's very weighty and significant. And it has a lot of relevance to our modern times. But anyway... Uh, Gerda is great. It is a kind of a hidden gem right now. I played it. And I thought it was fantastic. Uh, John also thought it was fantastic. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because his episode of Gaming in the Wild does a great job of explaining why Gerda is such a wonderful game, talking about the significance of the time and the place and the choices and how you interact with people. Uh, we covered it here, but I think John does an excellent job. You should absolutely listen to his podcast in general, but also listen to that episode and just see why you should be playing Gerda. I think everybody should be playing Gerda this year if you care about narrative games, adventure games, story-based games, uh, especially with everything that's going on in the world with the rise of fascism and Nazism. Uh, this game has some really interesting things to say and some interesting lessons to impart, so I do appreciate that very much. Gerda, A Flame in Winter is great. 100% recommended. Uh, I believe John would probably say the same thing. So please check out his episode of Gaming in the Wild, wherever you pick up your podcasts, and check out that episode. And while you're there, I'm sure you will love his dulcet tones, and you'll probably listen to every other episode he's done. They're all great. His show is great. Also, the other thing that I'm going to say, just as a little uh, peek behind the curtain, little personal info sort of thing... Um, when I was a kid, young kid, I was living in California with my family, and I used to spend a lot of time at my grandma and grandpa's house. I uh, got along with them really well. They were great folks. Uh, they're both gone now, uh, unfortunately, but I had many wonderful years with them, and we had a great relationship. And one thing that I remembered a lot was my grandpa had like a lazy boy chair. Uh, I don't know if this is a uniquely American thing or what, but like the lazy boy company makes uh recliners like really nice reclining chairs sometimes they rock sometimes they don't but like you sit in this chair it's like cushy soft it hits you in all the right places they usually have a little switch on the side and then the chair like tilts back and your legs go up and you can just like sink into that thing and get comfortable 
my grandpa had one of those. And I remembered sitting with him as we would like watch TV or whatever, uh, just like on a hot summer afternoon or like, you know, when he was just babysitting me while mom and dad were working. And uh, we would just sit there in the chair, like watching whatever game show came on or whatever Western or rodeo or whatever, whatever came on. And I just remember thinking that was like a really fun, pleasant, good memory. Like I felt real safe with him. He was a great guy. Um, I just really enjoyed spending that time. And I always had fond memories of that, you know, like falling asleep in the lazy boy with him and just hanging out and stuff. Really good, really good, warm, fuzzy memories. So now that I am uh, much older, not, not old enough to be grandpa quite in myself, but certainly old enough to want to sit in a comfortable chair. Um, I saved up a bunch of money. I worked some extra gigs and I put a payment down on a lazy boy chair, uh, for me. And I'm very, very excited about that. Uh, unfortunately you can't, I mean, I guess you could just buy one in the store. They've got a bunch set up, but there's all sorts of options, right? You get like the motorized reclining, you get rocking, you get like a USB port these days. I didn't even, that wasn't a thing back then. My grandpa didn't have a USB port on his rocking chair. Um, you know, all sorts of features that you can get. And so with different fabrics and cushion levels and stuff. And so you go in there and I looked around and you, I suppose you could buy one off the floor if you wanted, but if you want one, that's exactly the way you want it. You got to put in a special order, which is what I did. And they're kind of spendy. So I put just a, you know, put some money down and, uh, it'll be ready in like three months. They got to like the factory workers got to make it. They're going to make it to my specifications and I am just could not be more excited to get this lazy boy. I remember them being so comfortable and so like nap ready, napalicious and just really just like cozy. And to be perfectly frank, the couch we have right now just sucks really hard. And so I'm really looking forward to sitting on something that's very comfortable. I know this may be boring. This may be like an old man kind of thing. It's kind of pedestrian. But like, man, if you're not sitting on a chair that's comfortable, it just ruins the whole rest of your life. And you got to be. You got to be cozy when you're in your comfort zone. And so I'm really, really excited. I will give you guys all the updates. I know you're all very curious to hear about my chair coming soon. Uh, when the lazy boy arrives, I will I will give you uh, the full details. Maybe I'll even post a picture. Who knows? We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Anyway, that is all I've got to talk about uh, here on this show. Episode 344. Um, and that's going to do it. That's going to do it. Send us in your questions and comments. Uh, hit me up, sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. Or actually, I prefer you hit me up individually, uh, more, more direct and easier that way. It's my name, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. All A's, no O's. And that's on basically every platform. Although at the moment, I am still mostly on Twitter as that's limping along. And I'm also spending a fair amount of time on Blue Sky, which I realize is not an open platform yet. Uh, but if you have a, uh, an invite and you get into Blue Sky, please look me up. Otherwise, I'm on other things, too. I'm on co-host. I'm on Instagram. Uh, I'm, there's a couple other things I can't remember at the time. But look me up there. Hit me up at GameCritics.com. Uh, send me an email, whatever, whatever. Get in touch. Let me know if you got questions, comments, topics you want to talk about. Anything like that. would love to hear from you all in the listening audience. And I think that's going to do it for episode 344. Thank you very much for joining me on the Sovety Games podcast. And shout out to Carlos Rodella carrying that heavy load for all those hundreds of episodes. Hopefully he'll be back soon. We'll see. Uh, but in the meantime, this is uh, bye from just me. And I'll see you next week. <laughs>